Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're talking about politics. Everybody's like, I'm not inviting a friend to this one, right? But uh, no, I hope today is a healthy conversation. I hope it's a challenging conversation uh, in all of the right ways. Uh, But here's what I'm not going to do, okay? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to risk our nonprofit status or anything like that. Um, In fact, I don't plan to reveal to you how I might vote or even if I vote, which I do. But uh, I'm not going to like reveal to you my political leanings one way or another. In, in fact, it's, it's pretty intentional. Uh, I try to be intentional to always be a little bit of a mystery to all of you uh, because I would be willing to bet if we were going to sit down and we were going to grab coffee or, or whatever and talk about it and, and you were to start asking me like my positions or my views on certain things, for some of you, I would be way too conservative for you in certain areas. Okay, and then for others of you, you're like, your pants are too tight. You have to be a little too progressive for me (laughs) in certain areas, right? But if we would sit down, I think everybody would be a little uncomfortable and a little offended, which sidebar for where we're going today, I think probably all of us are more that way than any of us are led to believe, right? None of us fit neatly in the buckets and boxes that we try and fit one another in. But we're not going to talk about that so much today as what I want to do today is I want to do my best to equip you for this season that's about to come. Okay, so for many of us, uh, this is gonna be just a reminder of things maybe we already know or things we already do. Some of you are so amazing at this. For others of us, uh, maybe this will be a radically different way of thinking about what is one of the most hot button, uh, pervasive things happening in our culture, which is the political sphere that we're facing. So maybe for you, it's a different way of thinking or a different way of imagining what it looks like to be faithful in this arena. But today and next weekend, I wanna remind us of a few things that we need to be reminded of as our local community and especially as our nation gears up for another round of crazy, right? Because it's coming. You've probably already started to feel it if you pay attention to the news or Facebook or whatever. It's about to get politically crazy again. And in fact, I was telling a friend who's a pastor that we were doing this series right now. And he's like, it's too early, man. What are you talking about? I'm like, no, it is not, okay? Because we're going to be prepped on the front side as this thing ramps up for how we can navigate it over the course of the next year or so. And uh, again, it's okay that it's going to be crazy. I actually like politics to some degree. Okay, I don't like everything that's happening in it, but I like it to some degree. I like the challenge of it, and I'm energized by some of the conflict that's within it. Others of you may not be so energized by the conflict, and you're like, I just want to stay away from it, and you're like uncomfortable and sweating already because I'm even using the word politics in church, and you just want it to go away. Uh, But either way, it's become a part of our new national pastime. It used to be baseball, now it's yelling at each other. Uh, which is fine. Like, it's a great thing that we have free speech. And sometimes it feels like maybe we have a little too much as people just keep free speeching. But but it's way better than the alternative, right? And all that's good. And so I'm not against any of that. But the reason we're doing this is because as Christians, like as Jesus followers, we have a specific responsibility that we cannot abandon. That that even though we maybe have widely held or strongly held political views and that's okay, we, we have a responsibility that we can't let go of. And to to set up where we're going uh, over these next few weeks, we're going to have to look back at a few of our favorite years, looking at 2020 and 2021. You guys remember those good times, right? Some of us are sick of hearing about it and how it changed everything and all that, but it really was an incredibly impactful and incredibly revealing, difficult couple of years for so many of us because things got crazy. If you can remember, 2020 started out and Australia was on fire 
and it looked like World War III was about to happen, and we're like, man, this is as bad as it can get, right? We're getting it out of the way early. Then the NBA shut down, and there's that whole COVID thing, and we're like, the world's going crazy, and so we were all locked up for all those months, and the bickering started happening, right? We all started getting a little shorter with one another the longer that we were kept inside, and uh, do you remember these, by the way? Murder hornets? Those just kind of slipped under the radar. Like, that was a big crisis for about a weekend, <laughs> and then something new took its place, but... To my knowledge, they're still out there. I don't know. But just in case like you weren't feeling the 2020 feelings yet, just look at that guy for a little bit. And he'll get you in the right frame of mind, in the right mood. Uh, but it, it really was, throughout those years, it was like cascading crises that just kept happening. And as the world got crazier, we were like, surely this is it. And then there was another one, and there's another one. And regardless of your political beliefs or persuasion, it was just crazy and upsetting. And we got to about the summer. And uh, remember, there was all this racial unrest that suddenly bubbled up from under the surface uh, with the killing of George Floyd and the response to it. And again, it was so polarizing and everybody had opinions and everybody shared those opinions because we had nothing else to do besides share our opinions. And uh, up to about that point, to be honest, for me, I felt like lucky me because as a leader and as a pastor, I kind of got to sit it all out. Because at that time, I was a campus pastor at a large church called Northview Church. Some of you were here and were a part of that. And uh, what that means is I had leaders over me who had to make all the hard decisions. Right? It was crazy. It was difficult to be a leader throughout those years because no matter what you decided or what you did, you were going to step on a landmine one way or another. And, and so I can remember being in those meetings. I can remember sometimes they put my face in front of a camera and I said some of the words, but I was not the guy who had to make the call. And that was so great during those years, okay? Because I could come, and some of you I did. I'm like, hey, this is what we're doing, right? We've got to close down. And, hey, they told me. Okay, like it, it came down to, I'm just, don't kill the messenger. This is just what we have to do. And, and so I felt like, man, I got to dodge some of those big, difficult uh, calls. But also, to be honest with you, as I observed what was happening in our world, and specifically as I observed uh, Christians and, and high-profile Christian leaders and pastors and bloggers and radio personalities and all the people who were talking throughout those years, uh, I did have a sense where in so many ways throughout those years in 2020 and into 2021, I was really embarrassed at times and really disappointed. And at its most extreme, I felt grieved for the way that some Christian leaders, I mean, high-profile people, people that I trusted and looked up to and respected, for the way that they were responding to these crises on both sides of the political aisle, because some of them were saying things that I thought, what are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? How are you a part of all this fray and all this craziness that we've seen? And maybe you had that experience as well. But as we got into late 2020, bumping into 2021, suddenly it became my turn uh, to start leading a little more directly because the world was reopening or trying to reopen and uh, we had to make decisions about what our COVID protocol was going to be and did you have to wear a mask or did you not wear a mask and how much hand sanitizer is enough hand sanitizer and just all that stuff and so we were navigating it and uh, something that I tried to do and a lot of leaders around me tried really hard to do during those years when it was so, so crazy and so, so emotionally charged is I fought really hard in those years to not politicize the church, right? To not politicize our church specifically. And, and to be honest with you, a little behind the scenes ranting, I guess, there were people in our church who wanted me to. There were people in our church who wanted us to take a stand on certain things or speak out about certain things. Um, in those years, again, as I suddenly stepped in, I'm like, okay, now I gotta make decisions. People left our church in those years uh, over decisions that were being made or the one that really blows my mind, people left our church over things that we weren't doing. Th things that we refused to do that we've always 
refused to do, okay? Like, I won't go into details, but I had, like, people accusing other team members, nobody here, but other people in the church of being Marxists because of uh, what they posted about some of the racial unrest and that kind of stuff, and I had to be like, they don't even know how to spell Marxist, okay? Like, I promise, they're, they're not. But people left, and they left not over theology or music or our student ministry programming or anything that we were doing. People started leaving over things that we refused to do, which we have always refused to do. And to be honest, like, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need like a Band-Aid or anything, but it's hard. It, it's hard when people are suddenly walking away and you're like, wow, like I baptized you or like your kids are in our ministry and we didn't even do anything, right? It's just we didn't take the stand that, that we were supposed to take in their minds and then they left and, uh, you know, it started to weigh on me and then, oh yeah, in April of 2021, we started this thing called Story Church, <laughs> right? Like it was just like, okay, here we go again. And then I really was the guy and to be honest with you, in the climate that we were navigating, it still felt disorienting to me. As we're relaunching this church for the third time, in the, the crazy political climate we were in, I had this back of my mind fear of like, am I the next target? Right? Are people just gonna leave? Am I gonna make the wrong call and it all just blows up overnight? And, and so in light of all of that, here's a general principle that applies in all sorts of situations and scenarios but that we certainly observed over the course of those few years. It's really important for us to understand. It's that when life is predictable, it's easy for us to lose sight of what we value or fear the most. Right? We probably all had seasons like that where things just for whatever reason seemed like they clicked for a little bit, where it was like, hey, life's good, things are working. And in those seasons, it is so easy for us to become comfortable and, and take our eyes off of the things that we value or even the things that we fear the most. We just get comfortable and it's not on our radar. But then when this tsunami of uncertainty rolls in, all of a sudden things get real really quick. Right? That's what happened for a lot of us in those years. It, it's like all this chaos just prompted uh, things to get real for us really quickly. And what's so important for us to understand is that seasons of uncertainty or moments of uncertainty, they don't alter our value systems, they expose them. Okay, when things get chaotic, like 2020, 2021, what it did for so many of us, it didn't change our value systems, it just revealed what our value systems really were. It revealed what we really believed about things. Our actions don't tell the whole story. You've heard said, I mean, I've said before, actions speak louder than words, right? And that's true, and they're powerful. But our actions don't tell the whole story. Our reactions tell the whole story, right? Our reactions to circumstances reveal what's really inside of us. And so what happened in many people and in so many Christians' responses to the chaos and to the unrest and to the political and the social and economic and health crises of those years is what it did is it exposed Christians and church leaders, it exposed what's really been there all along. Right? It exposed what was actually there all along under the surface. It didn't change their value system, it exposed it. And I know some of this sounds critical and I am being critical uh, because Jesus called his capital C church a body and that means we're kinda in this whole thing together. Right, like if your hand hits somebody, you don't just arrest your hand, you arrest the whole body. So like what's going on in the church collectively, we all have a responsibility for it. And what happened is beneath some of that Bible-laced rhetoric and all those big faith claims, there ended up being a bit of a hidden agenda. And it, it's an agenda that the non-Christian world, that people outside of the church have suspected all along. Because people outside of the church have looked at the church and they've suspected that we're just like people outside of the church. That the same thing that drives them drives us. And at the end of the day, their suspicion is, and unfortunately, throughout those years, and for some of us, we continue to do this, 
we confirmed and discovered as well that many Christians and many Christian leaders, what at the end of the day we actually value most is winning. What, what we actually value the most is winning and it's getting our way. And apparently, a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian leaders fear the very same thing that every other ideology and every other group of people who gathers together fears as well, and that's losing. And it just got revealed in so many ways throughout these years that we were afraid of losing our influence, of losing our voice, of losing our rights in this country. And here's the irony of all that, okay? Do you know what happens Whenever the church abandons its Christ-ordained mandate, Christ mandate for who we're supposed to be, what happens when we lose sight of it? Whenever the church loses sight of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be, we do, in fact, lose our voice. We, we, we start to lose our influence and we lose our ultimate opportunity, which in my opinion in the political sphere is we can serve as the conscience of the nation. Right? We, we can highlight what's right and what's wrong and, and what we actually believe how to navigate some of these moral issues. But whenever the local church stoops to and reduces itself to the kingdoms of this world, aspirations, to like any other ideology or any other group, when we start to act like the goal is to win at all costs and have our way and protect our rights, what we end up becoming is we become just another political group, just another party in some ways, another constituency, another group to be wined and dined. And that's why the word evangelical, like capital E, evangelical, Hasn't that word been redefined and talked about a whole lot over these past few years? That's because evangelical, again, capital E, has become a voting block primarily. It's become a group that, that politicians specifically target and wine and dine and try and leverage their influence to gain more power. And what happens is we just get all divided and ferreted out to these different political parties to support whatever they're about. And whenever the church or, or a church loses sight of our God-given mandate of who we're supposed to be, we end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy because we lose the very thing that so many Christians feel like we need to fight in order to maintain. And we're not here to win anything. The church isn't here to win anything. And, and there's a sense in which, yeah, we're here to like win hearts and souls, and we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit, but we're not here to win culture wars, and we're certainly not here to win elections. And, and in 2021, church leaders on the left and the right, okay, I'm not just picking up one group, on the left and the right, church leaders, uh, they alienated half of the people that they're called to reach. And, and even to use some like slightly old-fashioned sounding language, churches on the left and on the right alienated half of the souls in America through their unchristlike behavior and rhetoric and political fear-based posturing. And we observed it, right? I mean, whichever side you pick, we observed it from them, whoever they are. For you, and it was crazy. And, and this is what I was thinking as I was observing it and, and trying to respond to it. Like for pastors on the right who got so political and they, they demonized all the Democrats, right? They're like, oh, it's all those, and like pastors on the left who demonize people on the right, and they're, they're the problem, all those people who are abusing their power. Blah, blah, blah. I wanted to say to both of them, right? Like, wait a minute, like all you guys on the right, so you think like the Democrats are lost and they're going to hell, right? Like, yeah, there's a worst, right? It, and I just wanted to be like, well, doesn't that make them the mission field? Right? Like, if you believe all that, that stuff that, like, everything in your church says everyone's welcome and come as you are, we want to reach people for Christ, but then politically and, and outwardly we're pushing people away that wouldn't they be the mission field? Or, or to the left, okay? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You think all these right-leaning, like, leaders that 
they're just corrupt and powerful and abusing and they don't care about people. It's all about profit and yeah, they're going to hell and they'll get theirs. Like you, you feel that, right? Doesn't that make them the mission field? Doesn't that make them the people that maybe we're called to reach? And so what we started doing is we started alienating half of the people in America because of our political views and what was happening is we were abandoning the very thing the church is actually called to do and actually called to be. And so consequently, here we are and we hear it all the time. We're more divided than ever, right? We're more polarized than ever. And you know what's interesting in the face of all that? The one thing that Jesus was most concerned about as it related to the future church, okay, like us, the one thing that Jesus was most concerned about was not our theology or our music or how we baptized or what, how we do communion or anything like that. The number one thing Jesus was concerned about as it related to the future church was our unity, was our unity. It was, it, Jesus said, like, the unity of my people uh, around uh, essentially the message that Jesus is who he says that he is and that he's actually sent from God, that is the most important thing. And, and so for the last couple of years, just my opinion, I guess, observing it, I feel like the church in general has missed an unprecedented opportunity to live and to react in contrast to the world around us. And, and instead, too many of us, and probably some of us in the room, right, if we're honest, we're guilty of this. We've just gone along with the flow, and too many of us did exactly what the Apostle Paul warned first century Christians not to do. We have it recorded and wound and bound in our Bibles in the book of Philippians, but it was a letter at first to very real first century Christians trying to navigate a very chaotic world. And it was like, this is going to feel crazy to us, I think, how relevant it is to what we see and what we experience, but it was cr just as crazy to them in, in their first century context. Here's what Paul says. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Again, some of us already, you're like, well, wait a minute, that's not American, right? Like grumbling and arguing is how you know that I'm American by the things that I grumble and that I argue about. Like this feels unpatriotic in some ways, but by the way, the assumption Paul's making in making this statement is that there's something going on that's worth grumbling and arguing about, right? There's something going on in that moment, in that time, that was worth grumbling and arguing about. So come on, Paul, like why not? Why wouldn't we grumble and argue? Why wouldn't we demand our way? Like what's the win in that? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked, let me tell you. He says, don't grumble and argue so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And let me dial us back in here for a second. Okay, remember those years? Probably still these years, but those years, 2020, 2021, you probably, if you're like me at some point, had this thought, right? You're like, what is the world coming to? <laughs> like, what, what is going on? What are those people doing? What's happening to our country? What's happened to our country? Like, we're going this way, or we're, we're going that way, and you felt the, oh no, and the, and the worry about it, and then, you probably haven't actually used this word, but you're like, oh my gosh, we're warped, right? Things aren't the way they should be. It's like bent out of shape and we're not going the direction that I thought we should be going as a country. And you, again, you probably didn't say this warped and crooked generation, maybe you did, but Paul says, look, if you're concerned about your warped generation or your warped community or your warped culture or this crooked group of people, he says, listen, church, I've got good news for you. You have the potential to make all the difference in your warped and crooked generation, but you're not gonna make any difference 
by grumbling and arguing with everybody else. Because if you grumble and you argue with everybody else, people are going to think you're just like everybody else. And then Paul goes on. He says, but if you get this right, if you get this right, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. The contrast of your life is going to be so apparent that people are going to stop and stare in the same way, like if you're driving out in the country late at night, or for me, like I was up at my grandpa's lake house um, just last night, and one of my favorite things is when we're up there and it's late at night, it gets really dark, there's no big cities around, there's not a lot of traffic, you can see so many stars. And if I'm ever up there and I just happen to look up, it's like, whoa, right? Like, it's there all along, but whoa, look at that. Paul says, your life could shine like that if we get this right. And I think thanks for a whole variety of reasons over the past several years, the church has lost some of its shine. And I say it's time we get it back. Like I say it's time that we fix this. And it's not going to be easy. But it's not complicated either. We've got to stop arguing and grumbling with one another. Because in 2020 and 2021, we argued and we grumbled with one another, didn't we? And we saw Christians, we saw Christian leaders, and we saw pastors arguing and grumbling with local and state authorities and with their neighbors and even Christians arguing and grumbling with their pastors. And we have to stop. And listen, if Paul doesn't do it for you, let's go to Jesus, okay, because he's an even bigger deal. Uh, to use Jesus' words, he says, in the same way, let your light, what is it, shine before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See what he says? He says that they might see your good deeds. Not that they would hear your well-thought-out argument, that they would read your reasonable Facebook post and just be enlightened. Right? He says that they would see something on the outside. They would see something that you're doing, that they would see the outcome of your life and as a result, glorify our Father in heaven. And again, what we've observed over these past few years is so many pastors and so many churches and so many Christians went to war with state and local governments over our right to meet shoulder to shoulder in recirculated air during a pandemic. Right? <laughs> like, like we just went to war over it and, and the watching world saw us doing that and it left an impression on a watching world that we are so fragile. Right? It, it left this impression that this church was going to suffer irreversible harm if we can't gather every seven days in recirculated air shoulder to shoulder together. I mean, you heard it. Right? The church has fallen apart, and it's biblically mandated, and we've got to meet, and we fought our big fight. And like, you know how fragile it made us sound? Like, do you know how the church started? It wasn't this. Okay, this is a luxury. In, in the first century, I mean, if they could hear us then, they're like, you, you have what? You have the internet? <laughs> like, you can still see each other somehow? We're in the catacombs. And forget about how it started. Can you imagine what we sounded like to Christians around the world in those years? And they're like, oh, hey, look, that's hard. I'm sorry you can't meet. I'm sorry you can't do your thing. I can't tell anyone I'm a Christian or the government's going to kill me. <laughs> My family's at risk. Like, we sound so absurd when you put it in its proper context. And, and by the way, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering, not my building, my gathering, my group of people, and the gates of hell aren't going to be able to shut it down. 
Rome didn't shut it down. The temple didn't shut it down. Communism didn't shut it down. No ism will ever shut it down. And it's not fragile. And by the way, I haven't even gotten to social media yet. Okay, so let's open that can of worms. Because on social media, some of us did this. Okay, I'm on it. I, I see it. Christians demonized and criticized by name people that they'd never met. And we gave up the moral high ground. And we confirmed what the next generation was suspicious of, that we don't actually believe the things that we claim to believe because of the way that we treated people, some of whom we never even met. And demonizing people in the other political party has become an exercise in virtue in our culture. Right? The better you are at it, the more impressive it seems. Like, wow, that guy knows what he's talking about. Did you see that sick burn? Like, and I get it. Like, people say, we're standing up for the truth. Right? I mean, we shouldn't be intimidated by all this stuff. We've got to stand up for our religious rights, and we were fighting the good fight. And I've got enough red blood in me, okay, that like, as a man in America, I'm like, yeah, let's go. You're right. But as a Jesus follower or as a pastor, we have no business participating in any of that. Because you can, I mean, like me, you turn on the news and you just kind of drink it in, you get charged up, you're like, yeah, let's go, like, we got to go get them, whoever they are. But then you follow Jesus through the Gospels. Or, or you follow Paul from Greece to Jerusalem to Rome, and you see how they interacted with people with real political power in their day. And as un-American as it sounds, and as pathetic as it sounds, and as passive as it sounds, here's the conclusion you've gotta make if you look at those leaders and how they led. It's that the church is not here to win. The church is not here to win. I mean, think about this. This is kind of disturbing in this context, but we talk about it all the time. We celebrate it every single Easter. <laughs> it's disturbing, but by every human measure, our Savior didn't win. If you look at the trajectory of Jesus' life, it is not up and to the right, and it's not all that impressive. He lost, and he lost on purpose, with a purpose, and we are his body. So, like, if you're a Christian who likes to believe things and not do anything with what you believe, that's fine, okay? You're a hypocrite, but that that's what Jesus would call you. Not me, okay? That's what Jesus would say. You can deal with him. But the difference is in the doing, right? That's what Jesus says. That's why Jesus said, I want you to let your light shine in such a way that people see something different about you that they see your good works and you let your light shine. And when we allow our faith to be subjugated to our political party of choice, we lose our voice and we lose our distinction and we lose our way. We lose our opportunity to serve as the conscience of a nation, which means we actually make our nation suffer more because we lose the high ground. We lose the opportunity to even be heard. Jesus didn't come to win in the way that we define winning. He came to lose and invited us to learn a different way to win. And the Apostle Paul understood this. And those first century Christians that got the movement moving, they understood it. They were called Christians by non-Christians. It was an insult originally. And, and they weren't called Christians because they were out on the street corner on Facebook or whatever saying, I'm a Christian and I have rights and you need to pay attention to me and do what I say. No, non-Christians looked at their lives and said, look at those Christians. Right? They, they were so different that they drew criticism. And you know that it that I'm talking about? It changed the world. I mean, from like a secular perspective, 
historians, scholars that look at it, and they may not believe in the resurrection, they may not believe in the claims of Jesus' divinity or the impact and beliefs of the church, but they look at what happened in the first century in that region and they say that changed the world. That shaped the world that you and I live in. And I believe that happened because the gospel changes communities and it changes families and it changes cultures. And for many of us, you're here today, right? And you're a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N because you're like, hey, it changed my life at some point along the way. Jesus changed my life. And I want to be really clear in what I'm saying. I'm not advocating we withdraw from the political process. Okay, I actually have a friend, uh, he's a church consultant and really smart guy, um, but he was telling me that he's actually stopped voting altogether. And his perspective on that is like, I've got to compromise either way. Like when I pick a party, I've got to give up something somewhere. And my kingdom, the kingdom of God is not represented by this kingdom. So he opted out. I'm not saying that you should do that. I, again, I don't do that, okay? In, in fact, I think on one level, on the contrary, we're called to love and to care for our neighbor. And so we must do everything that we can to, to protect and to create a culture that leads to human flourishing. Right? We should be so actively involved in, in what our world looks like. But our posture and our tone and our approach to how we're involved has to reflect that of Jesus. Our posture and our tone and our approach have been prescribed to us. The instructions are on the label, okay? When you, when you sign up and you're like, yeah, I'm in with Jesus, you have freedom to choose whether or not you follow Jesus, but we do not have the freedom to choose what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have freedom to choose whether or not we follow him, but we don't get to decide what it looks like or sounds like or acts like or reacts like because Jesus already modeled it and he taught it to us. He prescribed what it looks like for us. And, and in fact, uh, Paul spelled this out in his letter to the church in Corinth, he lays out his strategy for winning, and it is so lame, it couldn't possibly work. Except Paul's lame ideas, alongside Jesus's lame ideas, shaped Western civilization as we know it. But when you hear it, you're like, nah. Here's what Paul says. He says, though I am free, we like that part, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. And look, in our context, in our culture, we hear that, and it's a metaphor, right? We're like, okay, he's, he's subjected himself to him. In Paul's context, slavery was alive and well. Slavery was the way that the economy worked in the ancient world. Uh, Paul was living in a world that was fueled by slavery, an economy that was fueled by slavery where people were owned and people were traded. And it, it wasn't slavery like we hear about in American history that was ethnic slavery, which is terrible. It's all terrible. But in the ancient world, it, it was poverty-based slavery. Anybody was a potential slave. In fact, some scholars believe if you go back uh, in Paul's family tree, he's probably only one, maybe two generations removed from slavery. And, And so Paul is writing this. But in this case, he says, though I am free, I choose to make myself a slave. And nobody does that, right? Nobody willfully becomes a slave to somebody else. But Paul decided to place himself under to go second, to serve, but he did it with an agenda. And it was this other's first strategy and agenda that was prescribed to him by his king, by Jesus. And here's Paul's agenda. He says, I made myself a slave to everyone so as to win those under the law. 
that, that I became a slave, I made myself under that I might win people over. And then he teases out what he means by that. And he goes on and he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And again, this sounds confusing to us because if you know anything about Paul's history, like Paul was Saul and Saul was Jewish. And so it's like, what do you mean you became a Jew? Paul, you are Jewish. But what Paul is saying, it's lost for us because Paul was not Jewish in our world's terms. Paul was a Hebrew from Tarsus, just like Jesus was a Hebrew from Galilee or specifically Nazareth. Paul's point was in reference to a regional group of people known as Judeans or Jews, Jewish people. And he's saying to the Judeans, I became like a Judean. Uh, For me, honestly, I feel like I have a little bit of an example of this because I was born and raised in Kokomo. And it's not that far away, but trust me, it's not Peru. You'll all let me know. And and for several years, actually, when we planted the church, I still lived in Kokomo. And I would drive in, I'd pop in, I'd show up on Sundays, I'd smile and we'd talk, and then I'd go back to Kokomo, right? Man, I can tell you, both from my experience and from other people's experience of me, it's a different thing when I picked up my family and I moved here. In fact, when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm right down there, a couple blocks down. They're like, really? You live here? Like, you chose to live here? (laughs) It's almost like they're like, I thought we were all just trapped here, but you got in willingly, on purpose? And uh, I did. And it was a little strategic. Okay, I love this community, and I'm trying to invest in it every chance I can. But it was strategic because to the Peruvians, I became a Peruvian that I might win some Peruvians, right? And, and I eat at Mr. Weenie and growing a beard and whatever. Like it, I'm just doing the thing that we do around here. <laughs> and, and that's what Paul is basically saying. He goes on and he says to those under the law, I became like one under the law. He's talking about the, the Jewish religious law, even though I myself am not under the law. He's been freed from that because of Jesus. He says, I became like one under the law that I might win those under the law. And and he goes on and he talks about the opposite side of the coin. And and he reveals something that's so important for us. He says to those not having the law, right, Gentile believers, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. I know it's a lot of law in there and it gets a little confusing. But Paul's saying like, I'm not free from God's law. In fact, Jesus gave his followers a new law. And we are still under the law of Jesus. And if you consider yourself a Christian, you, like me, are accountable to the law of Christ. But the law of Christ, it's actually very, very simple. There aren't 10 of them. Okay, there's just one. And you don't even have to write it down because I bet you can just understand it on the surface. The law of Jesus, the law that he introduced to his first century followers and to every follower since is that you are to love one another the way that God through Christ loves you. That's it. That's what faith living out looks like. You're to love one another as God through Christ has loved you. You're to love the people around you and I'm to love the people around me in the same way that God through Christ loved me. That's the law of Christ. And Paul's saying, look, Paul's like, I've got a king. Okay, I'm under his law. I'm I'm following the only king that there is. We're under under Christ's law and the law is for us to love one another like he loved us and that's gonna determine my tone and my posture and my approach, we are supposed to one another one another regardless of one another's political views, regardless of one another's context. Paul, right? What a compromiser. What a poser. You just put on the face of whoever you need to impress, right? 
pretender. Come on, Paul. Pick a side, right? Take, take a position. Don't stand in the middle. You're either hot or you're cold, Paul. And you're just afraid of losing followers? Trying to, trying to win both ways, huh? A lot of us were accused of that in 2020 and 2021. Some of us are still accused of it. Okay, a, a lot of us heard that from people who were charged up and they were right. And whether they're on the right or the left, they're right and they knew. And it was the pastors who refused to politicize their churches that faced those kinds of accusations. And a refusal to pick a side was viewed as a refusal to take a stand. But we did take a stand, and we are taking a stand. And that stand is against politicizing the church of Jesus. It's against politicizing Jesus' gathering because we are taking a stand for the posture and the tone and the approach prescribed to us by our king, by Jesus. We're standing against alienating half of our community by siding with one political party over the other. And we're gonna stand with Jesus in the messy middle rather than give in to divisive, broad brush political talking points. And again, I told you, (laughs) in 2021, starting a church, gotta have a budget, butts and seats feel good, right? I knew how I could grow this thing pretty big. I, I still feel it, right? I know, I know the words. I'm, I'm okay at talking, right? Like I, can, I know what I would have to say to get the right group or the left group, whatever, to get them fired up and get them agreeing and get them moving with me. But what Paul writes next, it's one of my favorite statements in the New Testament. It's like his mission and strategy statement rolled out. Paul says, I have become all things to all people. In other words, Paul's saying, I've learned to build relationships and to navigate the complexity of relationships with people with whom I have virtually nothing in common with. Right? I've become all things to all people. And why did he do this? So that by all possible means, I might save some. Right? I became all things to all people. I try to make connections everywhere I can. I'm not going to alienate anyone so that I might save some. And, and <laughs> Paul's writing shouldn't have survived. Like, r- r- that strategy? Really, Paul? Come on. Carry the cause, right? Like, that limp-wristed stuff's going to work. It's amazing that anything that he wrote survived. But it survived because Paul and because the first century Jesus followers and because countless generations of Jesus followers have refused to bend to the prevailing worldviews of their day. Because Paul was so convinced that God had done something new in the world and that he was for the world in spite or despite everything going on in the world. That that Jesus was still doing something. And here's the point, okay? Here's the invitation. We're gonna go through a crazy season again. It's gonna, it'll get you, okay, if you don't watch out. But let's continue to be about that, right? Let's be a church that doesn't become preoccupied with saving America. Because when a church becomes preoccupied with saving America, we give up our mission. When we become preoccupied with defending our rights instead of advocating for the rights of others, we lose our way. And I love the way uh, the late author and theologian, Pastor Tim Keller, he's a pastor in Uh, New York, he just passed away this past year, but so much wisdom. I love the way he puts this, and it's going to be a little uncomfortable for all of us. But he said, when a church, or when the church as a whole, 
He is no longer seen as speaking to questions that transcend politics, when it is no longer united by a common faith that transcends or that goes above, that goes beyond politics, then the world sees strong evidence that Nietzsche and Freud and Marx were right, that religion is really just a cover for people wanting to get their way in the world. Yikes, right? But we've seen it play out time and time again. We've seen leaders do it time and time again. And the, ir the irony is we're so afraid of Marxism, right? But we're proving Karl right, <laughs> at least on this point, that actually we're just a guise to get power, that our religion is really just about power. It's really just about winning. So story, church, let's resist the temptation to use our faith. Let's resist the temptation to use Jesus as a means to an end. And let's not become guilty of leveraging our faith to try and get our way in the world. But instead... Let's remember the order of things that we said every morning in elementary school, and I think we still say in our schools when we put our hand over our heart and we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we recite it together, and every time we do it, you declare the very thing that I'm advocating for today when you say one nation under God. Right? The word nation comes first in the phrase, but it's under. One nation under God because we have a king first who gave us a law for how to treat one another that should shape and should guide our posture and our tone and our approach because there's a watching world and they need to see us shine. So next week, we're going to talk a little more about what it looks like for us to practically get our shine back. But for now, let me pray for you. God, this is extraordinarily difficult because everything about our culture and everything about our world says be like everybody else. And it feels good to be like everybody else. It's fun to be outraged. I mean, it fuels something in us to have an enemy to fight. But God, you showed us that our enemies are not shoulder to shoulder next to us. That every person next to every single one of us is as loved and as valued as we are. So God, I pray for my friends here as we gear up, or hopefully gear down, <laughs> for this political season that's gonna come our way. God, I pray that we would take on your tone and your posture and your approach, that we would live out your one law for us to love one another the way that you loved us first. And God, in so doing, I pray that we would get our shine back and that the thing that changed the world, the thing that continues to change the world because it changes hearts, the gospel, that that would be the thing we're unified around, that that would be the thing that speaks loudest in our lives, that we would view our nation as under God and that in so doing, we would draw people to see you, our Father in heaven. So we pray and ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.